Hey, I'm Steve Holt, the senior pastor of The Road at Chapel Hills. This is The Road Podcast. Thanks for joining us. My heart is to empower you to change the world. I hope this message impacts you. I want to be in Psalm 2 because, um, in my opinion, we are in a Psalm 2 time period in history. Never has Psalm 2 been more valuable, more important. It, if I could give you a little idea of, of Psalm 2. What Psalm 2, three aspects to that, would be that number one, it is a strategic, it gives us, no other, no other place in all the Bible, gives us the strategic plan of God and Satan in the last days. It is actually a last days psalm. And the fact that David would have this insight and inspiration about the latter days is nothing less than miraculous. And and that's what I believe about all of Scripture. But this is one of those that really stands out today. And you'll understand as we go through it, if you haven't read Psalm 2 uh, copiously before, you'll understand it much, much better at the end. But number one, it's the strategic plan of God and Satan. Number two, it shows you why Satan is on the move to try to shut down America and shut down the church. And then number three, it shows the the last day's triumph of Christ. The last day's triumph of God. It's a really, really positive psalm, but it's also very sobering. So turn to Psalm 2, and let me read, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then you'll get a kind of a a bird's eye view of the whole psalm, and then we're going to break it down verse by verse. Why do the nations rage? And the people's plot a vain thing. And the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together. That's a really key, that's something you should underline or circle. And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Sound familiar? Okay. He who sits in the heavens laughs. I love this part. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. Now, I'm I'm recognizing here, as I begin, that I was driving, I, I was just getting ready to come and get in my car, to come here, and I'm walking in the woods. What I typically do on Sundays is I'll walk in the woods on our property and pray about the message. And so it's usually a beautiful morning, typical Colorado, especially in the summer. I don't do this when it's a foot of snow, but, you know, it's good right now. So anyway, just walking around praying. And as I'm praying, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, look at your emails. And I, I usually just put everything away when it relates to um, Sunday so that I'm not distracted. 
But there on the lead was the Defender. Are you all familiar with the Defender? But Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s newsletter, The Defender. And, uh, and that's where I get almost all my news in relation to medical stuff. Related to the vaccine, related to diseases and viruses. Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s website, The Defender, is the best. So what they have on Sundays is the top picks of the week. It's called the top picks or the most read of the week. So I open it up. And there are my talking points today. I mean, it's really the talking points that I'm going to give you at the beginning of this message could be straight from the Defender um, by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. about the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, and the Great Reset. So um, I want to talk about this, and I've already talked about it. Let me just give you guys a date and a title if you were not here on March 27th. So on March 27th, I did a sermon called The Invisible War, The Great Reset. The Invisible War, The Great Reset. And on March 27th, I taught on Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum, The Great Reset, all that. And I go into a lot of detail on that. So if how many are not, I mean, I shouldn't say it that way. How many are familiar with the WEF, World Economic Forum, Davos, Switzerland, Klaus Schwab? Okay, 90% of you in here. Okay, so for you guys that either didn't hear the sermon or you don't know about this, you should go back to theroad.org slash sermons and then look under the rubric of the Invisible War from Ephesians and then go to March 27th called The Great Reset. Or you can put it on search. I think Great Reset would be good enough. I got a lot of um, positive... Actually, I don't think I got any criticism from it, which is kind of rare. Um, uh, and, and what I mean by that is not in this church, but I mean outside in the community and stuff. I mean, I guess maybe I did. I, I never read it. I never read people's comments. So just so you guys know, if you send me something positive or negative, I don't read it. So, okay. If, it, if it's really, really good, then, then uh, either Isaac or my daughter um, Anna will send it to me and say, this is a really positive. You ought to read that, you know. And, and then I say, if it's negative, I don't want to see it. So, and that's not because I, I want to be arrogant or anything. It's just that I don't have time. I don't have time to mess with that. I know what I believe. Um, but I appreciate people commenting. I think it's great. It's fantastic. Uh, it's a free country. You can do whatever you want. Um, it's just that, you know, in the reality of things, you have to decide, you know, what, what do you spend your time on? And way too many pastors and way too many leaders, in my opinion, respond to the dumbest criticism, including our past president. I mean, if Trump had just done his job and quit worrying about what they think, he'd probably still be president. So, so if you get too captured, and I'll just say this for, for you guys, if you're in a job, you're working a job, and you're getting critiqued, you know, just thank people, love them, bless them. But don't listen to any of their stuff, man, if you know what you believe. If you don't know what you believe, then don't say anything. Just keep your mouth shut because you're an idiot to go out there and start talking about stuff you don't know anything about. But if you know what you're talking about, then just be confident, be joyful, but be humble and loving and kind. And if you get too caught up in the criticisms that come your way, it makes you critical. So criticism makes you critical, and it makes you bitter in your heart. Don't do that. Don't go there. I don't know what these people say most of the time about me, even in the city. Like, I was greeting someone at something that I was at, some political event. I think it was an assembly that I did a prayer at. And I just was having the greatest conversation with this guy. And I just patted him on the back, said, right on, awesome, leaving. And then someone came and said, man, that guy hates your guts. 
And I go, what are you talking about? And he goes, oh, man, I was at this meeting, and he was just saying, Steve Holt this and Steve Holt that. And I go, well, maybe it's changed today. But I didn't know it, so it didn't bother me, so I was just really nice to him. <laughs> so you guys hear what I'm saying? Uh, okay, so just stay humble, be kind, be loving, be kingdom of God. I don't think Jesus meant, I mean, Jesus usually, when he was asked a question by the religious community, you know how he responded? He usually responded with another question. He didn't get bitter and all upset over it. He just, he just gave them another question. And then he moved on. And he built his disciples. And he built the kingdom. And that's what we're supposed to do. So there you go. That's not even in my notes. So let's get back to <laughs> Psalm 2. So let's look at verses 1 through 3. And uh, verses 1 through 3 is really about the last day's um, world um, culture. I'll just say that. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So, there's two kinds of churches, gang. In these last days, I think you're going to see two types of churches that have been emerging, especially, they were already there, but especially since COVID and during COVID. One is I'll call the progressive church. So the first is a progressive church. The progressive church thinks they're progressive because they acquiesce to the culture. They're churches that are more about um, butts and bucks. They're more about butts in the pews and bucks in the coffers. So it's more important to keep everybody comfortable and excited about just coming to church and hearing wonderfully good little spiritual messages than really equipping the saints for what's actually happening out there, okay? So I'll call that the progressive church. The second would be what I'm going to call a word and spirit church. So a word and spirit church is who we are, and we're about the word and the power of the spirit. So if that makes you uncomfortable, then you're in the wrong church, okay? And if it makes you uncomfortable, but you want to grow, then you're in the right church. And so Word and spirit means that we're grounded in the word, uh, engaging culture with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we make the declaration that we make. So there's two kinds of churches that are going to come up in the last days. So when you read verses 1 through 3, many churches will not be challenged, i.e. the German church under Hitler. So they made a choice to be progressive. They made a choice to not stand up to the Holocaust that was happening with the Jews. They chose not to stand up during the crystal night when the, when the brown shirts came in and started wrecking the shops and started taking away their Jewish neighbors. No, they didn't want to. They wanted to be fitting into the culture, riding in the stream of culture because they, because they were more fearful for their own lives and more fearful for standing against Hitler than they were about obeying God. You understand what I'm saying? I would rather go down with the ship, go to prison, get executed, whatever, and be known for that than to live this nice little life that floats along and lets anything go because the enemy's at work. So this is about, listen, guys, look at verses uh, 1. This is about nations raging. This is not about just political ideology. Whole nations are going to rage against God. And God says it's a, it's a vain thing. It's not going to work. 
It's not going to happen the way they think it is. It's a vain thing. They plot a vain thing. Nations will rage. Kings of the earth, presidents of parliaments, prime ministers are going to set themselves and the rulers and the oligarchs and those that are presidents of huge companies, billionaires, are going to plot together. They're going to take counsel together against the Lord and against Christ. Klaus Schwab is the founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. If you don't know anything about him, look him up. I'm going to call it the WEF from this point on. I'm not going to, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because we've already, I've already done this before. You can go back and look at it. But it's an organization made up of the world's political, economic, and cultural elites that meet regularly in Davos, or Davos Switzerland. Alongside Klaus Schwab is Theory Malleret. Theory Malleret, co-founder and main author of the Monthly Barometer and the most eye-opening book, COVID-19, The Great Reset. Okay, so interesting that the, great re- the COVID-19, The Great Reset, came out, guys, in the summer of 2020. There's no way that that book could have been written as copiously as it was if it wasn't being researched and developed before COVID-19 came. These guys were behind it. Klaus Schwab is most famous for saying, by 2030, you will own nothing and be happy about it. Meaning, he will own everything and he will be happy about it. That's what he means. Okay, the goal of the World Economic Forum, controlled by the world's most powerful billionaires, is to control everything on the planet from how money is distributed, the houses that you live in, and the food that you eat. Their goal is that we will be completely controlled by the government and big tech because you will be completely dependent on the government and big tech. And that's why we've got a whole team... Working right now, and we're going to present it Tuesday morning to the men. So if you haven't been coming Tuesday morning, you ought to come on Tuesday morning. And we're going to have Glenn Holloway and Mark McWilliams sharing our perspective on food supply chains and how we're going to try to take care of each other in the days ahead. And so we're going to present it there, and then eventually we'll present it here. The WEF, elite billionaires and globalists, are actively working for a one-world order. So that's their goal, gang. And it's interesting to see the defender saying almost exactly, point by point, what I'm talking about right here. They don't believe in the sovereignty of individuals or nations and want to erase all borders, i.e. southern border. And nobody's more, no one's more of a puppet than President Biden. He's just a puppet. He doesn't, I mean, he can't even ride a bike. Or he can't get off of it. I guess he can ride. He can't get off of it. Makes you wonder if, you know, he had a team get him on it. And then they weren't there when he came up. And so, you know, he falls down. You guys all know what I'm talking about. If you don't, just look up bike ride President Biden. I mean, I don't mean to make fun of old people or anything. Okay. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm just saying, though. He's not, he's not really the master behind what's going on. He's simply a puppet. He's not smart enough. Everybody knows that. 
Okay, two biggest obstacles to the WEF, and this is really important. The two biggest obstacles are a healthy, vibrant America and a healthy, vibrant church. They want to shut both down. You get a healthy, vibrant church, and we are not going to put up with this stuff. You have a healthy, vibrant America, we will not put up with this stuff. We are liberty-loving, democratically formed, constitutionally founded country. And we come against this kind of stuff. And so they're trying to shut you down because they want a new world order, a one world government, and they want open borders. It was Walter Cronkite 50 years ago and President Obama 10 years ago who said America must learn to give up her American sovereignty. This is what Joe Biden said three months ago, quote, now is the time, things are shifting, there's going to be a new world order. We've got to unite the rest of the free world and do it. Doesn't that sound like he's speaking from some notes that were formed for him? Make no mistake about it, the COVID pandemic was controlled by big tech, big pharma, and the elite billionaires. It was never about health, it was always about control. That's what, that, and that just continues. The, the elite hate free enterprise, private property, and free speech. You cannot usher in a one world order if you still have strong nations, including U.S., Russia, and China. In other words, the biggest issues right now is how do we somehow man, put, put these larger countries in a manageable level so we can control them. So thus, with the whole thing with Ukraine, everything coming against Russia... They're trying to cut Russia down. Then it'll be China next, but cut China down. And they're always trying to do that in America. After the collapse of the old Soviet Union, the left had to reinvent its Marxist socialist agenda. It's, there's a new socialism. There's a new socialism. They tax and regulate you to death. And we're being held by a few oligarchs, held captive to a few oligarchs. Let me give you my definition. The new 21st century socialism are oligarchs, which are a few cultural, political business leaders using monopolistic tactics to dominate an industry. They possess political and media power to promote their own interest. They control decision-making over a nation to promote their own interest. So what you're going to see with free enterprise and private property and free speech is oligarchs, large-scale key billionaires, controlling things that will also control, and as you know, what is it, five? I think it's five or six uh, key people control all of the news that you hear. And so be super careful. They all sound exactly the same. And so you've got to start finding alternative forms of newscasts. So, but here's the goal. This is what's so cool about Psalm 2, is that David, under the inspiration of Scripture, is, is prophesying the last days. He said, this is what their goals are. They hate anything that would put bonds or, or limits on what they can do. Verse 3, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So here's what they hate. Here's what the globalists, the WF, and the, and the oligarchs hate. Number one, I'm going to give you three things, and I could give you ten, but just for the sake of time. Number one, they hate that we, I'm speaking of the church here, hold to a standard of truth, which is this book, the Bible. They hate the Bible. We shouldn't be shocked that in our schools, anything to do with the Bible, they hate. They hate those standards. And by the way, 
For you with young kids, you've got some decisions to make in the days ahead. We pulled our child out of TCA, College Pathways, because of the issues that we were going to deal with with the university where she'd be taking classes, which is Pikes Peak Community College. And we then re-enrolled her in a similar program with CCU. You're going to have some decisions to make. So we've done the best that we can to try to have an impact on school board elections, and we've been very, very, very successful with that. But you'll also have some decisions to make about how much of the culture you're going to want your kids to be exposed to, and it might be that homeschooling or other uh, school options are something you should consider. So they hate, number one, that we have a standard of truth built on this book called the Bible. Number two, they hate that we believe in a standard of morality of right and wrong. That we actually believe that there's boundaries of right and wrong. Because what they, what anybody, I'm not even talking about Christians. I'm talking about anywhere in the world, even Rome, under the emperors, at the time of Christ, were very clear, they didn't follow it, about what morality was and what right and wrong was, especially in sexual and gender areas. It was very clear. All of cultures, the most primitive in Papua New Guinea, all the way to the most developed countries of the world, until 25, 30 years ago, really starting with Kinsey in 1948 is where it began, but that was just one individual, quote-unquote, scientist at that time and psychologist, believed that they understood and had a definition of a man and a woman. This is not hard stuff, you guys. This is not difficult. (laughs) And yet to see the idiocy of a culture that can't just stand up and say, come on, you guys, this is basic stuff. But that's the power of the media, and here's the, here it is. It's the power of fear. People are fearful, especially the pulpit is fearful to say anything. So they hate that we actually believe in a standard of morality. And number three, they hate that we oppose the agenda for world dominion. They hate that we oppose their agenda for world dominion. There are still churches. There are still people that believe in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. There are still people and churches that oppose Big Gov, Big Pharma, and Big Tech. There are still people and churches that believe you should have the freedom to worship, that you should have free speech, and that censorship is wrong. So what is God's response? And I've got to move through this, I could spend way too much time on verses 1 through 3. Look at verse 4. Here's God's response here in the last days. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Well, this isn't the only place where it talks about God laughing. 
Now, let me just say this. I, I, I think this is the way I would describe it in the PowerPoint. God laughs not at people because he loves all people. And that's really important to understand. But he laughs at their sinful confidence. Have you ever been in a discussion with someone and you really know the topic well? I mean, you're pretty, you're pretty versed in something. Um, it could be scientific, it could be political, it could be mechanical. Like if, if I was in a conversation about mechanics on my car, I'm sure that a mechanic, if I gave my analysis of something with my car, would smile. <laughs> Might even, with his friends later, laugh. And they're not laughing at me, it's just that I think I know something I know nothing about, right? So I've been in those conversations on certain topics, and you're listening to them, and, you, and the guy knows, doesn't have a clue what they're talking about. Like some of the critiques I see of other Christians and things like that, I've been around so long, and I've been around so many different believers, I realize this person, I don't care how popular that podcast is, really doesn't understand that particular topic, and you kind of laugh at it. But I'm not laughing at them. They're doing the best that they can. They just are you know, confident about something they actually know nothing about. So God laughs at this vain thing. So in Psalm 37, he laughs. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. Wouldn't it be interesting to have someone you're standing next to and they're just so confident they're going to win this election or they're going to, or they're going to get this job and you have, actually have behind-the-scenes information of how everything's going to turn out and you just listen and you smile. Maybe you even laugh. I think that's the way God works. Psalm 59.8 But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. One writer explaining this passage says, quote, It's a holy laugh in the face of absolute pride that presumes that their wickedness can defeat him. It is the ultimate laugh of triumph, of supreme power amid those who think they have supreme power, yet they have absolutely no real authority. So Satan who's using world leaders, continues to think he can somehow defeat God and the church and continues to make every effort to do so, and he's actually playing in to God's end-time strategy of triumph and a kingdom of God revolution. Even as Satan and the world's elite mobilize to take down and attack God and his church, utilizing all the resources they can muster, God doesn't even stand up. So look at the verse again. Look at verse 4. It says, He who sits, He who sits in the heavens laughs. He didn't even get up. He's not even worried about it. He's just sitting there. Going, <laughs> Are you kidding me? Really? Really? When Stephen was martyred in the first century, he stood up. They, Stephen said, I see the Lord standing. The Lord will stand for a martyr 
and he sits for these clowns. It's really important. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on this passage, writes, quote, Sometimes God is said to awake and arise and stir up himself for the vanquishing of his enemies. But here is said to sit still and vanquish them. For the utmost operations of God's omnipotence create no difficulty at all, not the least disturbance of his eternal rest. And guys, that should be true of us. We need to stay calm. We need to be full of peace and confidence and joy that God's got this. And he wants to use you. It doesn't mean sit on the side and don't do anything. But you ask the Lord, Lord, what would be my role in these last days? How do you want to powerfully use me? Because here's what you get out of Psalm 2. There's the rise of evil in the last days. And there's rise of the power of God through the church in the last days. Okay? Listen, this is really important. There's 150 passages. Jot this down. There's 150 passages in the Bible about the last days. 150 passages in the Bible in the last days. There's more about deception than tribulation. That's super important, gang. In other words, we spend so much time. The people who are kind of into the end times are always talking about, well, are we going to be, are we going to go through the tribulation? Are we not going to go through the tribulation? Are we going to get raptured? When are we going to get raptured? Da 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 da. You don't know. If you act like you know, I smile. <laughs> I mean, I do, because I've, I know all the different end times theological concepts. I've read them copiously. I know premillennial, postmillennial, midmillennial, preterist, all that stuff. It's not conclusive. I don't care what you think. Here's what we know, though. Here's what we know. That when the, when the last days are upon us, and we're, we're in the midst of all this stuff. Don't be deceived. Stand on the truth. And, and you may be walking out your door one day and, whoo, you're out of here. Because it's going to come at a day when you least suspect Matthew 24. Okay, so don't try to figure it out. Pray for a pre-trib rapture. Pray for that. But prepare for a post-trib revelation and rapture. You hear what I'm saying? So if you think just sitting around and, oh, you know, I said, oh, so it's all going to go to hell anyway, I don't see any place in Scripture that backs that up. I see that we occupy until He comes. I see that we possess until He comes. And so we do everything we can to make an impact in El Paso County. We do everything we can to make an impact in our community. We do everything we can to work in the school system. We do everything we can to be the best parents we can be and have the best marriage we can and be the best single person that we can be. Be godly, fired up, excited about Jesus, and then he, he takes care of all the other stuff. So there you go. So don't miss this. And now, he says this. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, verse 6. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. 
Here's God's decree. Here's his first decree. His first decree is Jesus is the king in Zion. Jesus is the king in Zion. This is a work of God, speaking of a kingdom of God revolution, that he is elevating his king. And it says in Zion. So I believe that temple will be rebuilt in the last days. And somehow, some way, and I don't understand all of it, Jesus is actually going to reign in that temple as the king over Zion and all the world's going to see it. They're all going to see it. All these, all these oligarchs, all these billionaire elites, all these big tech, big gov, big pharma people, they're going to see Jesus raised up and the kingdom of God flourishing all over the world. And you get to be a part of it. If this is indeed the last days, or just maybe it's just the beginnings of it, or maybe we're more into it than we know, we're going to see a more powerful church get raised up. You're going to see the progressive church begin to lose out. It's going to begin to, it, it may have a lot of people, but there'll be no power on it. And you will see confrontations occur where Jesus is the king in Zion. That's what it says. And he's going to use you and me. Do that. Look at verse 7. And I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Number two, God's decree, Jesus will be proclaimed as God's son. Now that's so important. We just had Eric Metaxas here talking about, is atheism dead? Because the atheists are freaking out right now. They are, because more and more, their theories are getting deconstructed. From Sam Harris to Richard Dawkins to Christopher Hitchens, they're being overwhelmed. And I'm reading the data out there. I'm reading the articles. They're getting overwhelmed because the foundations that they build their atheism on are being deconstructed by solid biblical Christians who know how to stand up for truth. That's pretty good news, right? Kind of? Right? Atheism is dead. Atheism is dead. Now, they don't know it, and a lot of people don't know it yet, but it's already dead. We know that. It holds not a candle intellectually anymore or scientifically. But, but God's going to allow the tares and the wheat, you guys, they're going to grow together until the harvest time. They're going to grow together. Here's what Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. But while men slept, the enemy came, and he sowed tares among the wheat, and he went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No. Lest, while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. So there are, there are pastors, there are churches, and there are leaders that have been set up by the enemy to take us off our biblical course. Be aware of that. Judge. Be a Berean. Judge things by God's word. You hear what I'm saying? Okay? 
Because God's not going to uproot them. In the last days, they will be uprooted. Don't be deceived. Verse 8. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Third decree of God is he will rule over the nations. He's going to rule over all the nations. And um, now I debated, and I'll just share my debate, my intellectual debate before this message with verse 9. I think verse 9 is talking about a global war. There will be a global war of right and wrong and righteousness and unrighteousness against and for the church. There'll be, there'll be both sides. There'll be a war. You read about it in Revelation, but I'm not going to go into that right now. The issue here, though, is that he, he's asking us, like, we're here. We're in El Paso County. We're in Colorado Springs. We should ask God for our city. We should ask God for our, our educational system. We should ask God for our county. God, would you give us a kingdom of God revolution in El Paso County? Would you raise up great churches? Would you raise up great leaders? Would you raise up great political leaders? Would you raise up great health care leaders? Would you raise up men and women who aren't afraid of the left and are able to stand up with the word of God as their foundation who are kind and gentle and loving. We don't have to act like the world to accomplish the kingdom. And there's some Christians out there, and there's some political people out there, and it's like they use fleshly tactics to accomplish spiritual ends. That's what the Pharisees did. Let's don't be that way. Let's love people. Let's be kind to people. Do you realize, you know what the greatest impact we could have for marriage in El Paso County? Is that almost everybody you know doesn't get a divorce. That they actually get married and they have a godly home. And they have godly kids. That would be the greatest apologetic of all. Rather than railing on the other stuff, let's positively and intentionally make an impact by being kingdom of God people. Instead of talking about lying, let's be honest. Instead of talking about how mean these people are, why don't we outlove them? You see, the first century church brought a kingdom of God revolution because they outloved, outworked, and outprayed everybody else. Let's do that. You go, well, Steve, look at my life, man. I've made so many mistakes. I've got this problem and that problem. Okay, welcome to the party. (laughs) Let's start now to change. Let's get under God's Word. Let's read God's Word. Let's do PB&J, prayer, Bible, and journal. Let's be in the Bible every day. Let's get in a small group. Let's get involved. Let's start working. Let's make it happen. I don't care about your past, and neither does God. He cares about who we are today and walking in forgiveness. And you get forgiveness from God and you get it from me. Now, let's get going. So verse 10. So here's what he says. Because it's what he's saying here. He says, look, you got all this information about what the devil's up to and what God's up to. Here's how you should then live. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. 
Be instructed, you judges of the earth. So, so number one, you need wisdom. In these last days, church, you need wisdom. Young people, you need wisdom about who you marry. You need wisdom about your sexuality. You need wisdom about your gender. You need wisdom about your finances. You need wisdom about how you treat people. If you grew up in a family with an angry dad or an angry mom, and they're always fighting, and you've seen that as your model, then you're going to have to renew your mind, use wisdom, and start doing it different now. You need wisdom. Be instructed by God. Now, verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. What he's saying here is serve God with fear. What that means, I believe, is that there's kind of a soberness to serving God. We serve Him with fear. That means that we're humble in our service. It means we're humble in what we do. And it means that we, that we serve because we love it. Not out of duty, but out of devotion. Don't do any service at the road out of duty. Don't do any service for God out there out of duty. Do it because you're devoted to it, because you love it, and because you want to do it with a fear of God over you. That I just, I just want to honor God with my life and all that I do. And then lastly, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. The word kiss here is the same word for embrace. Embrace Jesus. If you haven't embraced Jesus today, you better do it. These last days are going to get really murky. And if you're not saved, you're not sure you're saved, get saved. Even as we watch hostility growing, we also see the kingdom of God revolution growing. Whose side will you be on? What jersey are you wearing? Have you, got, have you got the Jesus jersey yet? You ought to get it. Because if you don't, it's going to get really, really tough out there. It's already going to be tough. But wouldn't you like to have King Jesus coaching your team? I'll take that coach any day over these other clowns. So come to Jesus. Hey, thanks for listening to The Road Podcast. It's been my joy to be a part of your life today. And you know, that's part of what we do here at The Road, and this is what I do in having this Road podcast, is to empower people to change their world. My passion and desire is that you would take God's Word through the power of the Holy Spirit and make that relevant for your life. You know, the reality is that God has placed your life here on this earth to make a difference. And if you'd like more information about how to grow in Christ, if you need prayer, if you want more equipping in different areas of your life, go to theroad.org. God bless you.